Game of Thrones Season 6 is over, but we're just getting started here on your Game of Thrones finale. Post show recap, and now here are the guys who have a fray pie filled with Game of Thrones information for you here tonight. I'm Rob Sisterino, and here is the hardest working man in Game of Thrones, Josh Wiggler. Uh, pass some of that fray pie. It looks delicious. I want a big slice of that thing. <laughs> yep. What? Ah, hungry. All right, uh, Josh, let me start off with the big theory everybody's talking about. Aria reunited with hot pie somewhere on the way back from Bravos. <laughs> oh, man. Picked up Gendry as well. Oh, God, this is great. Got the whole band back together. What do you think? Please tell me that we're getting a 90-minute flashback episode <laughs> in Season 7 devoted entirely to Arya and Hot Pie and Gendry getting back together and forming their own uh, little... I guess they wouldn't be called the Brotherhood Without Banners, but they're like the... It's like they're like the Teen Titans to the Brotherhood Without Banners Justice League. Right, that's right. All right, so, uh, so much to do to talk about here tonight. Epic finale. Josh, in the running for number one on your all-time episode list? Yeah, I'm weighing this right now. What do you think? Is this better than last week, would you say? Uh, I feel like that this was better than last week. I feel like that yeah. the battle like there it was was really good, but uh, boy, there was a lot of stuff going on here in this week. Lots, so. go- lots going on. Props to Miguel Sapochnik, who's the guy who directed the Battle of the Bastards and directed The Winds of Winter and directed Hard Home. That guy has four uh, or three, rather, of the top five episodes on the board for me. Uh, that guy is the man you want to call when you want an episode of Game of Thrones to really deliver. This was a great finale. It is without question the best finale we've gotten so far, I would say. And yeah, I think it's in the running for at least top top five if not top three status i'm definitely seeing a lot of people saying best episode ever um i don't know where i've landed on it yet i'll have the week to think about it but it was awesome it was incredible and ridiculous things happened some very tragic things happened super explosive things happened king's landing blew up at least partially it was crazy it was crazy i don't even know where to begin theories have been confirmed who Um, knows all right we're gonna get to we're gonna get to as as much as much as we can in the so words much. of Tyrion Lannister, uh, can you believe that this is actually happening? How about the fact <laughs> this is actually happening? Uh, so many different things to talk about here tonight. Of course, uh, we're going to take uh. your questions here live tonight. Hashtag PS Recaps are also on our YouTube channel at postyourrecaps.com slash YouTube. Also, uh, in the midst of all the excitement here tonight, Josh, uh, some big news for Post Show Recaps uh, decorated with the TV and film podcast of the year. From podcastawards.com. How about that? Wow. How about that? We uh, we asked you guys in the Post Show Recaps community to support us here in the Podcast Awards, and you delivered. And now the direwolf sigil is hanging on the Podcast Awards, and it is from you guys. So thank you very much. I don't know if we're if our sigil is really a direwolf sigil. It's just like a microphone. A microphone. Sigil, yeah. A fl- the flayed microphone. Uh, yeah. We didn't even need wildfire to do it. So <laughs> we conquered okay. it. Yeah. Uh, so many different things to talk about. I guess let's let's uh, start with. King's Landing as the episode did and we have been talking about this for a while this idea that Cersei was going to eventually torch all of King's Landing uh we didn't I don't think imagine it going exactly like this uh let me get uh your reaction I'm sure you My have penned, take. you have penned what 5000 words at this point about this already yeah, something like that. I'm in the middle of just writing a bunch of shenanigans about Game of Thrones right now, and as soon as this podcast is over, I will resume. So this is this is my break. I'm very excited about this. You can read it all uh, tomorrow, all week long, thr.com slash Game of Thrones. So Cersei ends up uh, igniting all of King's Landing. Now, we had talked about, like, we felt like that, uh, okay, is Tommen's death going to be connected to this? We talked about the idea that he would be burned in the fire. She had the presence of mind to send uh, Sir Robert Strong to go and stop him from leaving his room through the door. How about Robert Strong as a babysitter? You know, when you're like thinking about the best babysitter candidates throughout the Seven Kingdoms, Robert Strong probably wasn't high on my list before, but thinking about it, he's kind of great. I mean, not in terms of like the child's perspective, but if you're a parent and you have some control with Robert Strong, he's a great person until he leaves the room and lets the kid throw themselves out a window. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's an issue. Uh, Just first off, in terms of the cinematography of all of the stuff in King's Landing, 
uh, so beautifully shot and uh, just the score it was epic. It was epic. I mean, the editing is really key in that sequence, and the music was beautiful, unlike anything you'd really heard. It was, was like a, The Godfather. Was like, it was great. There was like this organ rendition of uh, the Game of Thrones main theme at one point. Yeah, like The Godfather. I know Antonio Mazzaro was texting me earlier and saying, like, that was that was Game of Thrones doing The Godfather. Uh, whoa. And I thought that the, it was just fan, it was fantastic. It was cut together with, you know, Lancel Lannister, like, you know, doing like the slow crawl toward the wildfire and just barely getting there uh right in time to get a face full of wildfire to be the first victim marjorie you know it, it dawning upon marjorie that you know there's a reason that cersei isn't here high sparrow cersei is smart enough to know that there are consequences for her actions and she doesn't seem to care about those consequences which means she's up to something and we have to get out of here mm-hmm. and if it were all up to marjorie all of those people would be safe uh so this is not on marjorie's shoulders it i mean i guess it technically is because she's consumed in wildfire so i'm assuming wildfire is on marjorie's shoulders uh but this is really all high sparrow just being egomaniacal until the end and not thinking that cersei could get her way but cersei did it she pulled it off she did it and uh i can't believe marjorie is gone i mean that that sort of has been lost in the shuffle in all of this tonight that marjorie i really thought that she was some sort of endgame character uh she is gone tommen is gone kevin lannister is gone the high sparrow is gone lancel lannister is gone. Um, Picel is gone. Any other uh, characters we know by name that you could think of? Yeah. Uh, Loras Tyrell is gone. Um, Mace, poor one out for poor Mace Tyrell. Mm-hmm. We've lost Mace Tyrell. Septu Unella is as good as gone. Shame, shame, shame. Yeah. Well, the Septa Unella scene. Uh, what's what's going on there with uh with with I mean is that are we just closing the door and is he is did he murder her what what that no no I mean Cersei says like oh remember when I told you the last thing you'll see before you die is my face and Septonella's like yeah I'm totally ready to die by the way and Cersei says oh I'm sorry Septonella you're not gonna die today you're not gonna die for quite a while and then she brings in the mountain and the mountain starts doing his mountainous thing and I think the implication there is that Septonella is going to be living out her days getting tortured by the mountain it was, a, it, was a, it was torture i wasn't sure if he was if he was hurting her if he was loving her i wasn't sure exactly uh oh what, what was going on there from the mountain are you uh, shipping septa uh, no, no, no 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 not in any way like uh, look, shame no, shame no, no, shame no. No, 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 i don't no. want to i don't want to get sidetracked with this so no. <laughs> so cersei um now i had always imagined that okay if tommen did die Cersei would not be able to live with herself. I have to say, Josh, she really took this in stride. I mean, I think that something has clearly snapped in Cersei Lannister. She gives her a whole big spiel to Septa Unella about, uh, I do things because they feel good. I do, you know, I do this with my brother because it feels good. I lie about it because it feels good to protect my kids. Even confessing feels good sometimes. You know, these are like the words of someone who is, I feel like, pretty severely off the deep end and into this pool of power that she has really tried to build for herself over the seasons. And I think the sight of Tommen there, at the end, it's just kind of like, oh, well, so that prophecy is right and all of my children are gone and what do I have left but the crown? I guess I've always wanted this thing, so now it's mine and now let's do stuff with it. And I think that she she comes off to me as somebody who has really, really lost it. I think that the term that's been applied to Cersei in the build-up to the wildfire moment with a lot of people speculating that that's where it's going is the Mad Queen. Uh, I think that she has officially become the Mad Queen. I think that Cersei is really unhinged right now and not that she's taking Tommen's death in stride but it's almost really frightening um you know how how little she is showing her feelings about the tom and thing as if she doesn't even fully accept it herself yet I'm very worried for where that's going for cersei so she lands on the iron throne by the end of the episode we have that great scene where she emerges she sits on the throne she's crowned kyburn puts the crown on her jamie comes in He's watching from the distance and uh, doesn't look thrilled about what's going on. No. And I mean, this is just, you know, the guy a couple episodes earlier saying, uh, I'll do anything I can to get back to Cersei. I love her and she's all that matters in the world. Um, and I think we even saw earlier in the episode, we saw kind of a melancholy Jamie Lannister when he's hanging out at the twins and just minding his own business and having to field this really terrible conversation with Walder Frey. And I think even in that moment, you just like see a Jamie who's a little bit distant. I wonder how much seeing Brienne threw that off. I think that that's a possibility to ponder. 
but certainly when he gets back and sees that the Sept of Baylor has been nuked and there's just this giant crater in the middle of King's Landing and like one of the most populated areas of King's Landing and then goes and sees that his son is dead, he has no more children, and Cersei is very coolly and calmly taking the Iron Throne and wearing the crown. Yeah, I think Jamie is pretty thrown off by this. And I think that that's going to be a great thread to follow as we move into the final stretch of Game of Thrones is how does Jamie react to his sister and his lover acting in this way? Is the Jamie Lannister who we have come to know over the past few seasons who is really we've seen another side of him that he's not just the Kingslayer or at least he was the Kingslayer with a cause. Um, is that going to be a guy who can tolerate someone like Cersei, even the person he loves the most in the world, nuking people just straight up bombing people for basically no good reason other than you know survival at all costs i think that he's not going to be psyched about it because cersei on the iron throne is something that we never have really explored what that would look like a cersei lannister reign uh, uh, at the iron throne so i mean where is she going with, with all this stuff it just it really feels like She's drawing dead. It looks like, you know, yeah. she's already played the wildfire card. I, I, w- she's being surrounded by her enemies at really at every turn. Oh, how does this end? Not well. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it ends great for Cersei. Uh, I think that she's screwed. You know, she, yeah, you're right. I mean, she played the wildfire card and what is her big asset? You know, like John has the North. He's got all sorts of, you know, sort of like destiny things on his side. I feel like uh, he's got, you know, he's got this cause in the North that he's going to fight for. Daenerys has not only dragons, but a crazy amount of allies at this point. She's got the Greyjoys. She has the Unsullied in the Do- Rocky. We found out in this episode that Varys did indeed forge an alliance with Dorne and also apparently with whatever is left over of Highgarden. So that's a big, powerful coalition that's on Team Targaryen. And if not at least is on Team Targaryen very, you know, strictly, then they're certainly anti-Lannister. Alaria Sand has had a bone to pick with the Lannisters forever. And now the Queen of Thorns says, I'm only alive for one thing, revenge. Like they took away my bloodline. All I want is revenge. So, yeah, what does Cersei have on her side to protect against that? I don't think she's got anything. Uh, Like, we saw, like, don't completely underestimate Cersei, otherwise you're going to blow up in a hail of wildfire. But what other trick does she have up her sleeve? Is she just going to make an army of mountains? You know, is she just going to clone the mountain? Is that what she's going to do? Now, how do you think that the people of King's Landing view the events with the High Sept, with the High Sparrow, and everything that went up with the Sept, with the way that it was really destroyed with wildfire? Do you think that people look at it like, "Oh, Cersei did this, and she's the you know the conqueror, and to the victor go the spoils," or people say, "Oh, this was an act of the gods that they were supposed to be this trial for Cersei, and the and the Sept blew up, so she must be innocent." Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we didn't get any elaboration on that, and I think that that will be a question that hangs heavy in Season 7, but there's a very solemn air. You know, the the room is very quiet and not maybe super enthusiastic when Cersei takes the throne, right? Like, everyone is just really kind of long-faced and just kind of twiddling their thumbs, and maybe they're all thinking, like, I don't want to be the guy that says no to Cersei Lannister after she just did what she did, or it could be like, poor Cersei Lannister, all of these people just died. Her uncle blew up. Her son has died as well. Who knows what the official log line on Tommen's death is? Like, what's the company line there? Did he blow up? Is that what they're going to say? Uh, who's to who's to refute that story? So how Cersei spins this, whether it's like, oh, woe is me. My son is dead, and now I'm the queen by default, and she gets sympathy points from that, or it's, uh, woe is you, if you cross me, I will take you out, and everyone is just you know bowing to her in fear. That's going to be one of the big questions of season seven, I think. Okay, well, let's uh, bounce around. Uh, we have talked about this for years, the idea of R plus L equals J, and yes. uh, who are the true parents of Jon Snow? And it turns out that it's uh, Rhaegar Targaryen and Lyanna Stark, and uh, we get that scene finally. That that is confirmation of what many has been uh, for for years and years and years. People have discussed this idea. 
Yeah, it's one of the oldest theories from, you know, stemming from the earliest days of the books. There's a ton of evidence for it in A Game of Thrones, the first book in George R. R. Martin's series, uh, that John is not actually Ned Stark's son, that there's something else going on there. You get a lot of this from the Ned Stark perspective chapters, the way that he talks about John and the way he remembers the Tower of Joy, and just a ton of other textual evidence throughout the five books. But it's never been spelled out in the books but it is so heavily supported with so much from those books that you can read between the lines, and it's kind of been an accepted theory among most fans. To the point that I think even a lot of people who haven't read the books have probably heard that theory before. Mm-hmm. And that was a big part of the reason why a lot of people thought when Jon Snow died that he wasn't going to stay dead. He's got a lot more business to attend to. He's got some Targaryen blood coursing through his veins. That seems like that's going to be a big deal that has to pay off at some point down the line. So we've started the ball rolling on that. We don't get an outright Rhaegar Targaryen is John's father confirmation here, but that's, you know, we could dig into that a little bit more, but certainly Lyanna Stark is his mom and the leading candidate on the board. I think Maury would be convinced that Rhaegar Targaryen is the father. Yeah. Okay, so we get the reveal, but my question to you is why? What is the significance of this? That Bran puts his hand on the Weirwood tree and this is what he sees. He is the three-eyed raven now. Why is this of such utmost importance to the story? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think that that is that is the big question surrounding Jon Snow now is now that we know that Jon or now that we can like I would say like 95 percent know at least if not 99 percent know that he has some Targaryen blood in him. Why is that a big deal? Why does that really matter? Um, I think it's going to matter in a big way in terms of any alliance that he has to forge with Daenerys. That's some common ground that they could talk about at some point if they need to team up in the war against the White Walkers. That is certainly a deal point on the table sure it could also it it also could mean if Rhaegar and Lyanna were not just lovers but if they were married then Jon could be a legitimate Targaryen and could have a legitimate claim to the Iron Throne and maybe Jon Snow is the guy who's supposed to be the king of Westeros that's not off the board and there's some other wonkiness that could go on there Um, is there also some sort of supernatural bent that could be involved is Jon potentially connected to dragons through his Targaryen bloodline does that make him a especially powerful. I think, you know, the combination of Melisandre constantly saying the Lord of Light is telling me that Jon Snow is soups important. Like, you're a big deal. We need you. There's a reason that you're back. I've seen you in the fires. Combine that with the fact that the Three-Eyed Raven was really pushing Bran toward this reveal. You know, he brought Bran back to Winterfell to see Lyanna Stark there. Brought Bran back to the Tower of Joy. I don't know why he ended the scene there, but he ended the scene where he did back in season two. And so these were big things that the Three-Eyed Raven was building Bran towards. So the Lord of Light certainly thinks John's a big deal, and the original Three-Eyed Raven thinks that John's a big deal. So I think that we can assume that he's a big deal, but for what reason, that's to be speculated. And just for clarification, so this would mean that Jon Snow is Daenerys's nephew? I think uh, I think his her niece her nephew, yeah, her nephew. I think that John John would not be her niece. I think John would be her nephew. I think that's right. Okay, yeah. So, uh, but I mean, there's other theories out there. There's people who still think, and I think it's worth chewing on that the Mad King could be the dad. So, like, I think that there's a Targaryen father in the mix at the very least. Boy, that seems uh, a little bit of a curveball, right? That that the Mad King impregnated Lyanna Stark. Yeah. That would be difficult. I would not like that. I much prefer the theory that Rhaegar is there, and that's where I'm hanging my hat for now. Yeah, I think so. I, I feel like that, in, you know, the show, I, I feel like if that was the case, they would, uh, you know, uh, it wouldn't have that coming that far out of left field. The question is, though, why why hold back the name Rhaegar in that scene? Why not go all the way there if we're getting this reveal that Lyanna says to Ned, like, uh, Robert would kill him if he found out you know it, so protect him, promise me, Ned. Uh, and then we see the baby, and then we cut to Jon Snow in Winterfell. So that's the connection, and you can, I mean, that is not a leap of logic to assume that they just told you that Jon Snow is Lyanna Stark's son. But why not just spell it out? Why not say who his father is in that in that scene? Why is that a big reveal to hold on to later when it's something that a lot of people could deduce right now? Uh, in- interesting, interesting. Uh, let's let's stick with Jon Snow. Uh, King in the North, we're back, baby. King in the North, he also got another nickname. He got the White Wolf. I like that. White Wolf. Yeah, the White Wolf Jon Snow. That's good. It's got a good ring to it. That's a good band, White Wolf. Yeah. So I King- wonder if they'll be playing at the Throners this year. <laughs> 
Oh, yeah, though, let's not bury the lead. Also, the Throners is coming back soon, too. Yeah, it's on its way. Okay. Almost, it's almost Throners uh, season. More, more on that at the end of the show. A little tease for the Throners. But, uh, so, Jon Snow, uh, King in the North, and K-I-T-N, uh, not like Sir Pounce. And uh-huh. so, uh, Jon Snow is uh, raring to go, but uh, Sansa, with an uncomfortable look at the end of the episode. Yeah, well, Sansa had gotten the sales pitch from Littlefinger earlier, right? Where Littlefinger is like, when I close my eyes and I make decisions, everything I do comes down to this idea of, like, can I actualize this vision in my head? And that vision is, I want to sit on the Iron Throne, and I want you, Sansa Stark, standing there beside me. Uh, that's a very, that's a much more specific definition of everything, which is what we had to go on before as far as what Littlefinger wants. Sansa seemed reluctant to that earlier. I think also Sansa was encouraged earlier in the episode by John, who's like, you're the lady of Winterfell. You're the true-born daughter. You should get mom and dad's bedroom. Whoa. Uh, and that's what he said. He said, you can take Ned and Catelyn's room. She's like, no, that's not for me. He's like, you're the lady of Winterfell. You deserve it. And now here's John being anointed king in the north by everybody I mean, not in for the anything. Room. Like, wasn't that also Ramsay's bedroom? So maybe that's like, uh, she's not yeah, dying. Yeah, maybe it's uh, got like, like a bad, bad man. Yeah, bad uh, juju. Well, I think at the time it was probably Roos's bedroom while Sansa was staying there. But we don't need to get into the okay. specifics. Yeah. Uh, but John is then suddenly he is hoisted as King of the North by all these people there. Our girl, Lady Mormon, is like, everybody, you know, step up. Come to the realization that Jon Snow is the best. Yeah, she crushed it. She was great. Uh, Samuel Tarley's victory speech for Jon, his pump-up speech for Jon a few seasons ago was good. This was next level. Next level. Uh, no, next she, level from she was the be- <laughs> She was the best. Uh, no, does Jon Snow want to be king in the north? Is there a reluctance on his part? Or do you think he's like, it's like, oh, okay, why not? He's always been a dude who's just like, I got to do what I got to do to like stop the bad thing from happening. Like, it's not like he wants to be Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. It's not that he wants to be at the head of this war against the White Walkers. He just sees it as the right thing to do. And that's the Stark in him. You know, even if he's not Ned Stark's biological son, he does have Stark blood going through his veins and he was raised by Ned Stark. And that is the exact attitude of the person that he has, you know, lived his whole life believing is his father. Um, so I think for John, being named king in the north if this is what needs to happen to rally together the north to fight against the white walkers that are coming he'll do it i think that there's probably also got to be a piece of him that's like this is pretty cool you know they all called me like bastard for so many years and now they're calling me king in the north this is kind of great yeah kind of like this but for sansa what do you think she ends up doing now because is it going off with Littlefinger? is it a you know a plan to unseat john yeah, I don't know. I mean, really all we have to go on there is what Littlefinger had told Sansa earlier, and then this big uproarious moment in the room where everybody is so excited. It's King of the North! King of the North! Uh, and everybody's pumped up about it, except for Littlefinger, and Sansa looks at Littlefinger and sees that Littlefinger is not psyched. I don't know where Sansa's head is at. I think that Sansa has been in a position where she's been, you know, she's been building her way toward power. I think that she she did what she did to Ramsay Bolton last week, which was pretty gnarly. Is there some darkness in Sansa? She's been, you know, she's studied at the knee of Littlefinger throughout this, you know, the past couple of seasons. Could she really use that as a way of leveraging power against Jon? I wouldn't put it past her. I think that that look that's exchanged between them is certainly not there without a reason. And I think what we've been talking about, uh, we talked about this on the feedback show of like, what does Littlefinger's presence mean in the Winterfell storyline? How bad of a hang up is that going to be for Jon? That's obviously now a season seven thing, but I'm really curious to see how that plays out. The idea of Sansa heading to King's Landing with Littlefinger to go and make a play for the Iron Throne seems like we do not have that kind of time on our hands, right? I, it's hard to imagine. Yeah. I mean, listen, Littlefinger gets from point A to point B in half an episode. Like he could get to King's Landing between, you know, the space of a week and it would be fine. So maybe we've got the storytelling economy to do it. One of the things too is like all of these stories are coming back to Westeros. And if you think back to season one, people traveled great distances fairly quickly. Uh, we were in the Vale from Winterfell. Like Cowan Stark went from Winterfell to King's Landing and back to Winterfell and then to the Vale in the 
the span of like four episodes. Mm-hmm. So now that there's so many stories and now that the show is sort of starting to concentrate more into Westeros, I don't even know if we'll see Essos next season on the map. I feel like people Ooh. are going to be able to move around a lot faster. So maybe we would have time for this Littlefinger and Sansa thing. Okay, well, we'll see. I don't even know what sort of claim Littlefinger and Sansa could have to the Iron Throne. Not but a, Not a great claim. Not a great claim. All right, but let, let's uh, keep bouncing around. And uh, how about Arya? Uh, I had thought that we would get Arya going to Winterfell. No, instead she goes to the twins and Strigoi, Walter Frey, <laughs> is gone. Uh, Strigoi, Strigoi, yeah, he has some vampires to kill and so he had to be killed off here. Uh, very sad, okay. very sad. So, Not sad at all, actually. No, we wondered if Arya was going to be able to have the capabilities of the faceless people in Westeros, or did she require the faces to be able to pull off this feat? It appears that she can just do whatever she like. We don't know if she killed somebody and took their face off and then became that person, or if she can just be a shapeshifter, basically. Right. We don't know the mechanics of being a faceless person outside of the House of Black and White. Uh, but we now know definitively at the very least that Arya has it in her to be, a, you know, to change faces on the road. She's brought that skill back to Westeros. She used it to kill Walder Frey uh, before you had to wonder, like, how many of these people are Jack and Hagar? Like, how many characters are Jack and Hagar right now? Now, very awesomely, I think, we have to wonder how many characters are Arya Stark. You know, we could see somebody in the scene, the Hound and the Brotherhood Without Banners could, like, roll up to some kid or some person in the middle of the road, and suddenly that person could pull off their face and it's Arya. How about that? That's pretty fun. Yeah, pretty pretty wild. So... Here is Arya now that she is back in Westeros. And do you feel like that her plan is now to go and cross names off her list? Or do you see her potentially heading back to Winterfell? Yeah, well, she said, I'm Arya Stark of Winterfell and I'm going home. And now she is in Westeros. The question is, does she go home immediately or does she continue her, you know, her kill mission before she goes home? Is Westeros home? And it's not just Winterfell, she means. At the very least, she made a pit stop at the Twins to kill Walder Frey. Why do that Unless, I mean, I guess it could have just been on the way home, so it's just a thing she could do. Or is she just on her mission now, and her version of going home is settling the score and settling all the debts that she's, uh, that she's got in this, in this arena? She wants to cross all the names off her list, and she's started doing it. And uh, I'm, I'm struggling to think of the other two names. Cersei? Only- Cersei, and who's the other? Is it The Mountain? Well, I don't know how Arya's going to do against The Mountain, but if she wants to give that a shot... What if Arya is going to run into the Hound now that she's back? I mean, she's in the Riverlands. Last we saw the Hound, he was in the Riverlands. What if they run into each other and she says, I want to go kill the Mountain, and the Hound is like, yeah, let's go do that. And then we do get our Clegane Bowl. Is that the way we get our Clegane Bowl? It seems unlikely. I mean, that Arya is, uh, even if she was headed to King's Landing, you have the, the Hound who's in with the Brotherhood Without Banners. I mean, why bring those guys back into the mix? If he's just going to ditch them after one episode. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Seems unlikely. Seems unlikely. Uh, I do wonder potentially if Arya is going to uh, have the run in with uh, Melisandre now that Melisandre is sent south from Winterfell. Yeah, no, that's a great one. I mean, some people have been wondering about that. There is, uh, I saw some screenshots floating around earlier tonight of uh, that scene between Melisandre and Arya back in season three, I think it was, yep. where Melisandre's like, we'll meet again. So now there's plenty of opportunity for them to meet again since she got kicked out of Winterfell. What did you think of that? Was that a harsh punishment for Melisandre? Or did she get off easy? She got off pretty easy, I thought. Yeah, I thought so too. I thought so too. Uh, okay, so then let's get into... Dario, uh, uh, well, forget forget Dario. Start with Danny. Yeah, uh, yeah. That, that he's well, he's just another uh, notch on her headboard, I guess. Uh, forget you, uh, Dario. Danny has well, her sight. Seems a little. He seems a little bummed about it at first. Like he's like, "How am I going to follow up the mother of dragons?" She's like, "Yeah, you'll be all right. You're Dario. I've seen the butt. You're going to be good. You'll be fine. You'll be fine." Yeah. All right. So Danny is off to Westeros. Something that we have been clamoring for for. 
at least uh, four seasons of the show. For- Forever, really. <laughs> I mean, pretty much since the moment we've seen Daenerys Targaryen and we know what her deal is in Westeros. And by the end of the season, she has dragons. It's like, can we get her to Westeros so we can have dragons in this thing? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, we've been waiting for this for a very long time. And I think Tyrion really does echo the audience when he says, can you believe this is actually happening? Yeah. It's like, no, I, I really can. I never thought you guys were actually going to do it, but here we are. So Danny has a hand of the queen pin made up for Tyrion. They're going steady. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. yeah. Will you wear my hand of the queen pin? Sure. Sure. Yes, I will. Yeah. Uh, so this is uh, very exciting. It's very exciting. I'm very excited about it. I mean, Danny, listen, I, I really do think that we are going to leave the Essos portion of the map behind. What business do we have in Essos anymore? I think it's all Westeros all the time. That's pretty That's pretty exciting. No, it's very exciting. To the point, though, that, Josh, is the deck so stacked in Daenerys' favor? Is it even a fair fight anymore? Well, I think that this is a big part of the reason why we are talking about the Game of Thrones endgame. You know, it, the the rumor on the street, the word on the street is that it's two seasons split in two, or it's one season split in two across two years, or if you want to call it two smaller seasons. But either way, they've said, David, uh, David Benioff and Dan Weiss have said that there are somewhere between 10 and 15 episodes left of this show. Um, Danny having so much in her favor for 10 to 15 episodes of the show feels like something's got to happen. Otherwise, it's really only going to be like four hours left at, at best because she is so super powered up at this point. So something's got to happen. And I wonder what that something is. Like, it can't just go so easily for her. And I think a big hangup is going to be if this White Walker situation falls on her radar and it becomes a thing of like, all right, how do I handle that? Um, but you got to imagine that a Cersei Lannister grudge matches in the future, and that's going to be pretty sweet. Right. The Lannister army seems like the only thing that could potentially slow Danny down by a yeah. little bit. And like, to what, to what end? Uh, but to the point where we have, okay, you have the Greyjoys, Dorn. Uh, the Dothraki, the Unsullied, the dragons. Yeah. You, you would think that you know getting getting on board with the Starks and the Knights of the Vale might be easy at that point. And, and then at that point, you're really set where you have uh, basically all of the Seven Kingdoms united, ready to take on Knights King. So you think that that could be the move? Like that could be the first portion of the remainder of the seasons of this show, and then we're looking at White Walker Endgame. Right, that they're all going to come out of the Eastern Conference, or I guess this would be the Southern Conference, and then... The Southrios Conference. Right, and then uh, Knight's King is coming out of the Northern Conference, and then we'll have everybody come together. I like it. Okay, uh, so uh, in terms of uh, Dario, I mean, is, is this the end of Dario? Do you think we're going to see Dario again? Uh, maybe Dario and Jorah Mormont like show up out of nowhere together at some point in the future. And that's how we see Dario again. But I wouldn't be surprised if that was it for Dario. I mean, what, what further purpose does he have? Are the second sons really so badass that like if Danny is in a corner and she needs her own Knights of the Vale to come charging in, that it's going to be Dario Naharis and the second sons. I think it's probably more likely that we're done with Meereen and that's how they're wrapping it up is that Dario is going to hold down the fort there and uh slaver's bay is forever going to be the bay of dragons as if we didn't need enough beyonce and daenerys targaryen comparisons now we're calling it the bay of dragons Mm -hmm. that's pretty good now you and i had uh joked about the dario is euron Greyjoy theory but uh i think a lot of people expected uh euron Greyjoy to have an appearance here in this finale he does not are you surprised that uh we did not see him and now does he even have a role in this? How is Euron Greyjoy and the ships that he's building going to even stand a chance against the stolen uh, fleet from uh, the from Pike plus Dorne plus Highgarden plus the Unsullied plus the dragons? Probably no chance at all, but I think that one thing that it could cause a problem with is if it's like a short-term skirmish between um, the the fleet that Danny is riding on right now runs into Euron's fleet on the way to Westeros. Like, could that be like an early season seven scene that we could see? 
Yeah, but I mean, like, aren't the dragons... It would end very fast, you would think, that Euron would be toast pretty quick. Yeah, I think Euron, who talked a big game, that guy seems like he is... uh, He he really should have kept a closer eye on those ships, or somebody should have, at least. You would think so. Uh, So I don't know where they're going with uh, that stuff. And then the other story that we saw tonight... Uh, Sam and Gilly. Sam's a college man. He's at the Citadel now. I can't believe it took so long to get him to Old Town with like just how fast Littlefinger is, with how swiftly the Greyjoys made it to uh to to Danny, with how fast freaking Varys is. Varys might be the fastest man on the show. <laughs> he was in Dorne one second, and then he's back in Marine without any explanation, just chilling on the boat. He's very aerodynamic, Varys. How did you do? He's spry like Hurley. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Sam, you know, it's not far from uh, Randall Tarley's house to Old Town, and it took so many episodes to get there. So that's kind of a bummer because I really would have liked to have seen an Old Town story this season, but at least he's there now. Old Town looks cool. Hell of a library. Yeah, great library. I mean, what is the book Sam is there to get of the. Uh, there is a book that says you can beat the White Walkers with dragons. Is that what That's he's there to, f- to figure out? <laughs> How to defeat White Walkers. Yeah, I think that that is the one that he's looking for. Okay, so we'll see where that goes. Anything else from the Citadel? No, I mean, cool to see the White Ravens unleashed. That means that winter is here. Uh, so we can stop saying winter is yeah, coming. Thanks a lot, winter Al is- Roker. That would took us. Uh, <laughs> good thing we got that bird to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, so that's great. I like the White Ravens. I thought that was fun. So that's good. We've got the uh, the White Wolf, the White Raven. Uh, it's all coming up here on uh, Winter. Ned Stark. And the Three-Eyed Raven brands the new Three-Eyed Raven. Yeah. And what about uh, the return of uh, Cold Hand slash Benjen Stark just dropping off Bran and Mira at the wall? Was it at the wall? Oh, where they... Was- Close near the wall. It was, it was like Benjamin. You could have like gone a little further, right? Or at least if like Brand needs to make a weirwood pit stop, like hang out with him and then drop him off at the wall. Unless he like it's like a restraining order with him and the wall. Like that's the magical power. Is like he can't get within two hundred feet yeah. of the wall. It's like if you have an Uber that can't pick you up at the airport. Right. So it like picks you up like outside on the street and it's like really annoying because you have to like pull your luggage too far and like you have to like cross traffic and it's scary. Yeah. It's like you could have just gotten to me, right? Don't you think? That's right. That's how it could have been. You had driven right up to me. Okay. Um, Josh, any other big headlines? Of course, uh, we have the feedback show coming up this week. I'm sure the uh, book club is uh, on its way as well. So we have uh, so many different uh, ways for you guys to send your questions in. If you're listening to the podcast version, go to postshowrecaps.com slash voicemail or, or GOT at postshowrecaps.com. Any other thoughts before we jump into questions here tonight? No, I'm sure we'll find other thoughts as we as we crawl through the questions. And as you said, we'll have plenty of other podcasts to talk things through. So let's just hop into some questions. Okay. Now. Uh, Antonio Mazzaro wants to know, can we call Tom and Sir Pounce now? <laughs> uh, there was an attached uh, gif of uh, of a cat jumping off a, a windowsill. Uh, how about King Pounce? King Pounce. King uh, Pounce. Why? It's very sad. I hope that Sir Pounce is okay. Who's going to feed Sir Pounce? It, uh, Sir Pounce wasn't at, uh, I guess. He probably wasn't at the Sept of Baylor, so I assume that he's okay. Yeah. But who's going to watch, watch after Sir Pounce? Maybe The Mountain. That would be a spinoff that I would watch, The Mountain and Sir Pounce. Yeah. I bet that some of those uh, little birds of Varys's, I bet they like the cats. That was the present. Like, that was the reward. Mm-hmm. Kill Grand Maester Pycelle and set this wildfire plan into motion, and we'll give you a cat. And but then candy. you're going to have to fight for the cat. Okay. Uh, what about Gons from Charlotte? Uh, let's hope the other northern lords know what they're getting in King Snow. Heroic fighter, emotional plan ditcher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Jon Snow is, I mean, he's great in the battlefield in terms of, like, his physical capabilities. But uh, how is he as a leader? Questionable. Yeah. I mean, he's... um. Classic Stark. I think they're used to it. Classic Stark. He went full Stark at the Battle of the Bastards. Uh, I hope that he learned a thing or two from losing his cool so much against uh, against Ramsay Bolton. But yeah, I think that that is one thing that, you know, these guys are like, yeah, he avenged the Red Wedding. We'll never have to deal with anything like that again. Jon Snow's got some real Rob Stark tendencies in him. So watch out for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think Jon Snow is going to remain king in the North or do you think this is a temporary situation? I think it's a temporary situation. Temp king. Temp king. Temp king in the North. I'm not sure exactly 
what his destiny is, but I do not see him as the longtime king in the north. Okay. I'm still on Sansa, queen in the north. I am as well. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Natalie in Chicago says, what, if anything, is Queen Cersei going to do about the Starks retaking the north? Her pride can't let it go unpunished. Boy, Natalie right. really uh, wants Cersei to strike back. Natalie, yeah, I think that Cersei, I mean, this is this is great. It depends on how long it takes the Targaryens, you know, to to get to Westeros, but we're kind of a little bit back to basics right now, which is awesome that, you know, Cersei is in charge. Uh that Lannister is hanging out at the heart of King's Landing. Jon Snow and the Starks are right back at Winterfell. Are we going to have another head-to-head Stark versus Lannister situation coming up and is that going to be a big focus in season 7? You would think so. The stage is definitely set for that. I think it's really cool. I think that brings us back to basics in a really awesome way. The Starks don't have bigger problems than the Lannisters at this point. They they do, but if the Lannisters show up at their doorstep, it's kind of like, oh, come on, we got to do another battle of Winterfell. I know you guys thought it was really cool, but we kind of blew the budget last time. We've got some White Walkers we got to fight. Lannisters have enough problems. And they got a lot of problems. <laughs> that being said, you know, if Cersei finds out that Sansa Stark is in Winterfell and she still believes that Sansa Stark helped murder her son and she's now feeling like super revengeful about everything that's happened to her children, um, I could see her marching north. I could see that happening. Okay. Uh, what about uh, John Santucci? John Santucci says, is it too early to ship John and Danny after she let Dario down hard this week? Uh, yeah, I mean, Danny says, like, sorry, Dario, you got to go pay a visit to Dumpsville because I have to marry somebody in Westeros in order to forge an alliance. Um, thinking about, like, who the list of eligible bachelors is, like, Jon Snow is high on the list, King in the North. This would be good. Are we shipping this? Is this going to happen? Yeah, well, the Targaryens did marry within the family before he is her nephew. Uh, it's going to be a little awkward. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that. It's like distant ish. No, it's actually pretty close. Not that distant. Uh, It's not that distant. Okay. Uh, But who else would she be going after? Bran Stark. Bran Stark. I like it. I like it. Okay. I'm into it. (laughs) Fantasy Stats Guru wants to say. Kyburn finally got payback on Pycelle for crop dusting him all the time in the small council meetings. <laughs> That's why. Got it. It's like, oh, Grand Maester Pycelle, I really had to take care of this personally because I was just so deeply offended by that time you farted in my presence. Mm-hmm. Got him. Yeah. Yeah, okay. got him for sure. Uh, Drew Rothar says, red wedding, purple wedding. Does that make this the green trial? Green trial? I don't know. Is that what you- do we want to call it that? Not that catchy, I don't think. The Green Lantern? I don't know. He doesn't apply. <laughs> I don't know. The oh, But, I mean, it's going to have a name. It's going to have a nickname. We're going to get that eventually. Um, I don't know what it's going to be right now. Open to suggestions. If you're in the comments section, if you're in the chat room right now, let us know. Yeah. You know, when Cersei talked with Kyburn last week about, are the rumors true about all of the, uh, the wildfire uh, beneath the city? It didn't really seem like from where uh, we ended up seeing uh, Lancel uh, Lannister end up going that it, it was anything that was particularly hidden. I can't imagine that this was that difficult to find this store of wildfire. Or they were just, you know, yada yadding or yara yaring <laughs> through some of the search through the tunnels. Yeah. You know, like they may have just like that may have been like a like a two hour expedition. OK, perhaps. All right. Probably not, but maybe. All right, what about Colin Stone? Colin Stone, what's up, Colin? Uh, he Colin says, Stone, what was, man. What was, <laughs> what was up with 47 different shots of people casually sipping wine tonight? Yeah, it was a very drunk episode of Game of Thrones, I felt like. Yeah, Cersei especially, I felt that once um, there was the whole thing where she kind of could have taken a minute and talked to Tom and rather than go right into a waterboarding uh, Septa Unella. Yeah, I think that that would have been wise. I think, like, at the very least, like, don't call off, you know, Robert Strong until you've had a chance to talk to your kid. Like, you at the very least need to explain to him what just happened. Yeah, where was she during all that? Just pounding drinks. Just getting hammered. No, where was Septa Unella? That I can't believe she'd missed the trial. You would think tied that she'd up. be... Yeah, she'd already been taken. That was that was probably phase one. Phase one is a tie-up Septa Unella? Yeah, I think that was it. Okay. Uh, what about Mark Butler? 
what are the chances history repeats itself and Jamie becomes the Queen Slayer? What do you think about that, Rob? You know, it's interesting. You know, I've heard you talk about uh, the idea of that brand's vision that we saw was a prophecy from the future as opposed to in the past. But uh, I think at one point I, w- I watched that again and I feel like that you can kind of, you can make out that it's the Mad King and not Cersei. Although uh, it could well, be. This is, how about this? This is from Jack Mooney who had, uh, who had written in a day ago uh, who said, I just wanted to weigh in about the flashback of brands where we see Jamie stabbing who we would assume is the Mad King, but is often theorized to be Cersei. There's one detail that I've noticed, and it's killing me that no one's mentioned it yet. In the flashback, Jamie both draws his sword and stabs the figure with his left hand. I feel mm. like that has to be significant and strongly points to that part of the vision at least being future, not past. How about that? I think we need to take a look at that footage again and just uh, really do a, you know, a, a facial check because... Deep in, dive. Yeah. That, the, there's also in the background that the, uh, the, the a window that's behind the Iron Throne, uh, that, is, that matches the current Iron Throne, but not the season one Iron Throne, uh, the window mm. in the background, but that just could mm. be a production design thing. So... Uh, more on this to come. We need to, to do a deep dive. Okay. Okay. Jason Weatherhall, true or false, Davos Seaworth, the Onion Knight, is the most normal everyman in the Game of Thrones. Is that who we I are lo- supposed to relate to? I love Davos. Davos is great. Davos, you know, very worked up tonight. He was very upset about everything that happened to Shireen. Yes. Yes, very much so. To the point where I was really surprised that he did not, you know, try to kill uh, Melisandre. So. That's not Davos. You know, Davos would like he's going to fall in line with whatever John Sermons is the justice here. Like whatever you say goes, but please at least kick her out. Uh, you know, Davos isn't a renegade. He's not going to take it on his own. I mean, I guess he has tried to kill her in the past. So let me walk that back a little bit. You know, he did try to assassinate her back uh, in, I think, season three. But that was after, like, he watched his own son get killed because of, you know, everything that was happening with the Baratheons. So... Yeah, I guess it's a little surprising that he didn't take it a little bit further, but I think Davos is fairly... I think that he's got a strong moral compass most days of the week, if not every day Mm -hmm. of the week. Okay. Uh, Our Philly says, uh, we can all agree tonight that tonight was the absolute best use of Dorne, right? Varys plus Elena in a fleeting moment uh, spent there equals perfect. Yeah, how great was it? The Queen of Thorns just like dressing down the Sand Snakes. Yes, yes. Let the adults talk, kids. You guys suck. Again, I do think that there were a lot of things in the script, especially tonight, that was sort of the voice of the fans, like really breaking the fourth wall dealing with some of these characters. A little bit. Um, Do you think that in season seven they're going to break the fourth wall and that's how the White Walkers are going to come down into the North? Yes, yes, I think so, that they're going to say, all right, uh, audience, are you ready for this? And then that's just like uh, everything cracks and then uh, even Benjamin Stark can finally come back to Winterfell. Wow, that'd be great. That'd be really good. <laughs> okay, uh, Natalie in Chicago. Do you think that Danny is getting to King's Landing next season, or will she get a uh, wind of the real war and detour to help? Will she pull a Stannis and instead of going to King's Landing, uh, sort of end up north of the wall? Well, I mean, I think that that's one of the debates right now is like, what's the order of this? How does this play out? Because the White Walkers are coming and John's going to deal with them. And you got to imagine dragons are getting in the mix there. And now we know Danny is heading to Westeros. Does that happen early or is that later game stuff? If it's later game stuff, then you assume that Cersei's going to King's Landing and it's going to deal with that situation fairly swiftly. And as we've discussed, I don't know what Cersei has on her side that's really going to help her survive more than a day or two of an attack from the Targaryens. Um, if she's going to go to the north first, if that's what she's going to do, then Danny and John teaming up against the White Walkers, that buys Cersei some more time, so that storyline gets to play out for a little while longer. So I think that's TBD. I'm not really sure which way we're going. You seem to be of the mind that the White Walker stuff is going to be endgame material. Yeah, I think that happens last. I mean, there's nobody in Danny's party that's even talking about the, the going to the north or the White Walker threat. Right. So they haven't even caught wind of that yet. So somehow they have to find out about that. You can't imagine they're going to find out about that before getting the King's Landing. Or maybe you can imagine that. I don't know. It depends on how creative you are. I think Um, that if we end up breaking up this final season into two parts, I think that part one deals with the Lannister stuff and then part two deals with the White Walker stuff. I could see that. 
I could totally see that. Okay. Uh, spicy wasabi. Did, uh, Dario and uh, Melisandre's stories finished? Um, I think Dario is done. Yeah. I don't expect to see Dario again anytime soon. I definitely expect to see Melisandre again. Yes, I agree. I th- you know, I think it's going to be one of those, uh, like, get out of here. You're, you've, you're expelled, never return. And then she's going to show up and it's going to be like how Jorah showed up to Danny and was forgiven because he came back and devoted himself. And I think Melisandre will do something similar. Right. Josh, give us one last question. All right, Gons from Charlotte. I'm really going to miss Pycelle, said no one ever. Is he the <laughs> longest-running character to die that no one cares about? Well, uh, he's there from pretty early on. He is. He chose poorly. Poor Pycelle. Uh, that was tough. That was, that was very gruesome, the way he went out. Yeah, no, those little children, they all, like, uh, those little birds, they really got him. And they really, yeah, he got, he got covered by the birds. Mm-hmm. Sure. Good. Sure. Yeah. Angry birds. Angry birds. Yeah, angry little birds. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> all right, Josh. Uh, so, uh, so much to get to. Let's let's set up the Throners because uh, that is our annual Game of Thrones uh, post-season spectacular. And this year, we are really putting the pedal to the metal and accelerating our efforts here on the Throners. I'm very excited about the Throners. The Throners is very fun. Samuel Tarly, who didn't have a lot to do on Game of Thrones this season, now has quite a bit to do coming up for the Throners. This is what he's been preparing all season long. So the Throners, if you've never heard about the Throners before, if you're new to post-show recaps, this is at the end of every season. We do a little goofy award show that celebrates the season that's gone by. You get to vote on your favorite characters, your least favorite characters, the best villain of the season, uh, the Hodor Award. For excellence in Hodor, I think it's going to be very contentious this year, and the Throners are launching very soon. How are we doing it this year, Rob? Oh, very, uh, very exciting. Uh, the Throners. Uh, we just have to. Uh, we had all the nominees set, and then definitely there were some upsets tonight in terms of what we had. So uh, basically, uh, when we're just waiting to get the final nominations in, and then we can open up those polls at thethroners.com. Yeah, I think we just have Throners.com as well as going to work. So keep an eye out for that. That should be updated within the next day or two. But we'll definitely give a big update on our Game of Thrones feedback show recording early this week. So get your questions for that in the next day or so. Yeah, and then the awards are going to be the week after this week. So very very soon, uh, we're not going to wait around. Tight timeline. We're just gonna get. We're gonna get to it. We're gonna. We're gonna finish off this Game of Thrones coverage in style with big wild fireworks. It's gonna be very fun. Okay, Josh. Uh, so, what do you want to go with the hashtag? Uh, do you have any suggestions? Anything written down? Angry little birds. Angry little birds is fun. I like good. that. Okay. Uh, good stuff. Of course, uh, you can follow everything that Josh is doing uh, on the Hollywood Reporter. Uh, yeah. You can go to uh, follow at Round Howard or go to thr.com slash Game of Thrones. And uh, Josh, any highlights you could tell us about of what you're working on? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to try and chase down as many interviews as I can in the coming days. One cool thing that I'm going to be doing for THR, I'm hosting a Facebook Live for Hollywood Reporter tomorrow, Monday, 2.30 p.m. Eastern. If you go to uh, the Hollywood Reporter's Facebook page, I believe that's facebook.com slash Hollywood Reporter. It'll pop up there around 2.30 p.m. Eastern. I'll also try to tweet it out from at Round Howard. But I'd love to have as many of you guys there as possible. I'm going to be taking questions. I'm going to be monologuing about a lot of stuff, probably. We're looking to go anywhere between 15 and 30 minutes, so it should be a fun, quick little thing. Really excited about that. All right. Good stuff. Uh, Plenty more to come here on the podcast award-winning post-show recaps. Make sure you don't miss any of it at postshowrecaps.com or by subscribing to the podcast. Go to postshowrecaps.com slash iTunes book club. Feedback show on the way. Get those feedback questions in as well. Uh, Postshowrecaps.com slash voicemail. Thanks so much to Alex Kidwell for uh, pulling all these questions tonight. And uh, Josh, anything else? No, very excited for the Throners. That's the we've got some feedback. We've got some book club coming up, but the Throners is the, is the next big milestone, and that'll be our official series finale or season finale here on Post Show Recaps for Game of Thrones season six. And again, to all of you guys who voted for us for the podcast awards, thanks again. We truly appreciate it. Have a good one, everybody. Take care. Bye.